Welcome back to the 49ers You've Got Mail podcast sponsored by Manscaped. I'm Kiana Martin joining you uh, with a very special edition of the 49ers You've Got Mail podcast. Typically, we're answering fan questions and we have a guest on with us. Well, I'm not only giving you one guest, I'm actually giving you three guests. And instead of answering some questions about the 49ers and their season and as they're gearing up for training camp, I would love to take this moment to highlight what eight, seven day is on August 7th, um, celebrating a former 49ers wide receiver, Dwight Clark, who spent his entire nine year career with the 49ers, which included San Francisco's first two Super Bowl championship teams. He's affectionately known for the catch in that 1982 NFC championship game against the Dallas Cowboys. That win actually propelled the 49ers to their first Super Bowl championship. It's duly noted that his battle with AL Less, uh, he fought with it until he passed back in June of 2018. And since the 49ers have continued to celebrate Dwight and both his on and off the field contributions during 8-7 day. So to commemorate the day at training camp, players and coaches will honor Clark by wearing 8-7 merchandise, including jerseys and t-shirts that you may have seen them wear each year in the past. And Clark's statue at Levi Stadium will be illuminated with special lighting, drawing attention to Clark's immortal place among the 49ers organization and fan base. Also, stadium video boards will also feature unique 8-7 day messaging where fans can share their DC memories on social media using the hashtag 8-7 day. The Golden Heart Fund, the preferred charitable cause of Dwight Clark that was created to serve the current and future 49ers alumni during times of need for financial, medical, psychological, or emotional support. And the 49ers are also helping raise funds and awareness, advance research efforts, and pursue public policy initiatives for families uh, facing ALS. So in this special podcast, I had the pleasure of sitting down with three people who were very close to Dwight Clark. You might know this guy, former 49ers safety Ronnie Lott, also former 49ers defensive back John Faylor, and even Dwight Clark's younger brother, JD. They all sat down with me to share incredible stories and memories of Dwight and his legacy as a member of the 49ers. So... To get things started, listen in as I begin my conversation sitting down with former 49ers safety Ronnie Lott, the former 49ers eight-time All-Pro, 10-time Pro Bowl safety, who actually met Clark during his rookie season with the 49ers. Take a listen. I want to just dive right in and ask, can you recall the first time meeting Dwight? And if so, what were your initial impressions of him? Well, the first time I met him um, was, you know, you're here, you are, you're walking in as a rookie. And, and the first time I met him it, is that you realize that the setting of, of, of just trying to compete and the setting is trying to compete against anybody that's standing in front of you. And so you don't really even know the guys that are in front of you because you don't know them. You, 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 you don't even recognize Freddie Solomon. You you don't recognize Dwight Clark. You don't recognize the guys that we had at that time playing receiver. And, and so what you recognize is that you've got a guy in front of you that is pretty big and pretty tall. And, and, and then what you recognize about that young man, especially Dwight, you start to recognize 
uh oh, there's something extra there. And the extra is there's something about how he tries. And, and what I mean by that is that, you know, in life sometimes, one of the great things that I love about Jerry Rice, Jerry Rice is the greatest, not because he's the best ever, he's the greatest because he tried harder than anyone else. I mean, every day he tried harder than anyone else. And so then all of a sudden you take the white and you, and, and you, and you recognize that skill, that talent. And so all of a sudden, now I'm starting to get to know what 87 is all about. And all of a sudden now you're meeting him. And now all of a sudden when you meet him, you start to then say, okay, okay. So where are you from? And, he, <laughs> and then you start to realize that he's from the South. And, and, and one of the things that I always, man, you mean I'm playing with somebody from, you know, a, a region that maybe, how's he looking at me? Because I'm from Cali and I've been in California since I was 10. So all of a sudden you are trying to now figure out how you fit. And I think one of the great things about Dwight was right away, you could tell that getting to know him, watching him play, that one, he was going to try, but two, he was going to welcome you. He was going to welcome you to be in his family. And what I mean by that is that we never hung out, but we hung out. And what I mean by hanging out is you hang out with people that you start to understand all their characteristics. And, and the great thing about that group of guys is that that year there were a bunch of rookies that he was going against. And so imagine him and Freddie Solomon going against a bunch of rookies. They never, they never were arrogant. They were never, you know, putting themselves above us. What I love was they were the kind of guys that said, hey, I got you, but here, can, how can I help you? I, I might have caught one on you, but how can I help you? And I think one of the great things about that kind of characteristic is that you forget that in winning, it's the people who do all the little things that you don't even think about. And so for me, looking back at that relationship and getting to know him and understanding him, it was a great pick that Bill Walsh made because the attributes of what Dwight brought to the team created an atmosphere that made all of us feel like, you know what, let's try as hard as he can. Let's try to do it like him. Let's try to work hard. And I think one of the things that, that he's known for, that he's known for in his life is that he tried. When he made that catch, the catch is, in, is an, an amazing catch, not because it happened, it's the, it's the effort. And when you go watch that ball in the museum and you see where it's at on his fingertips, you realize that the effort of that moment probably was the same effort that every fan gave that particular moment. And everybody sat there going, and then when it happened, and so when it happened, 
that changed everybody's life because when it happened, everybody started to believe that you mean I can do that too. And you and people in the streets said, I can do that too. And people in the neighborhoods were like, hey, I can do that too. I remember sitting here in this van after the game. I was driving home and the fan started, ah, and I'm like, did I cut you off or something when we were driving? And I realized that at that moment, the fan was just saying, hey, I'm pumped. I'm just excited. And, and, my, pump, and my point to you about that is that that's the impact that he had on that particular meeting, on a particular team, on that year, and on the franchise. I love how you said that you guys didn't hang out, but you guys hung out. How did your personal relationship with Dwight grow over the years? Wow. Um, yeah, that's a great question. And the reason it's a great question, I probably spent more time with Dwight after he had played the game. I spent more time with him after when he had played, not only played, but was now a general manager, now working for the Browns, and then working for this insurance company. And, and, and that's when I really started to get to know, started to really get to know Dwight. So um, it's funny how in life, sometimes as teammates, you don't get to, I mean, I, there's some great teammates that I've met over the years. And, and yet we, sometimes you don't even get to know them until you get to know them. <laughs> and what I mean by that is sometimes you don't get to know people until you get to really know them when, when we all are trying to find something, all are trying to find a way or a path to kind of make sure that we're taking care of each other or helping each other or doing certain things in life. So a lot of times I always find that in sports, uh, uh, you could be a teammate for life and you don't even realize that you've been a teammate for life. I have guys that are in my life right now that are from the different teams I play with. And I find when they call me up, it's amazing how we can, we can buy, we can chat, we can talk, we can, we can help each other. We can fellowship with each other. We can, you know, I was talking to Randall Cunningham the other day, and all of a sudden we started talking about church. And I was like, and my point to you is that moments like that make you realize that the huddle is essential in life. You know, it's essential in life because you learn how to get along. You learn how to find ways to disagree, to agree, and you find ways to sometimes not even understand the guy, but you have to learn how to understand them. And my point about those moments is really productive because um, you find yourself knowing that, hey, I got to put on another uniform, but I'm still going to be, I'm still going to play and I'm still going to do all I can to exhaust life. And that's the, the thing that I loved about Dwight at the end. He exhausted 
every moment. Let's talk about you personally. You guys built, I believe, if I'm interpreting this right, an even stronger relationship after football. What kind of impact has he had on you personally? And whether that's through the playing career or post-playing career? Yeah, I, I think one of the great things that he um, helped me understand um, is, is, is triumph, failure, and triumph. And um, um, I think one of the great things about that is, you know, how we fall and how we get up and how we work and how we find ways to um, continue to evolve. When you have ALS, you know, I had another, one of my best friends, Eric Scoggins had ALS. And when you have ALS and you see people go through ALS, you start to understand the essential things of life that sometimes um, we take for granted. And, um, and so the impact of just watching somebody try to pick up their hand and they don't have the capabilities of, of, of picking up their hand and and to see those 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 things that were your that made you a lot of who you were, you know, not to 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 then go dormant. Then you start to realize that um, there's a soul, and the both of those guys and their soul. You just gotta, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta understand it, and you gotta think about the soul. And 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 so sometimes, I was I was just talking to my my kids. I said, why why is your soul sometimes so angry? And I'm like, because sometimes you see that you're playing with your soul with everything all the time. So sometimes you don't realize that your soul is um, can be compromised and complicated and, and, and challenging. So, yeah, uh, that's what I, to me, what I've learned is, you know, that essence of trying to, you know, think about the soul of your, of, 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 of who you are. You brought it up earlier. Everybody remembers that signature football moment and you talked about how it's at the 49ers Museum and you, people are saying, I can do that too. But can you speak to any of the standout moments that maybe he had on the field? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I remember I, I remember one game where he had had these, these, these rubber gloves and he was catching everything. <laughs> and there were scuba, there were scuba gloves, and and I forgot what game it was, but I just remember sitting there going, "Man," and 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 my point to you is that in sports, the great thing for us is that you're not just sitting there watching. <laughs> At least I'm not sitting there watching. I've never sat there to watch. I've always sat there to understand and to see and to appreciate. And so any of the guys that I play with, any of the guys I play with, man, 
you know, if they made a if they made a great play or they did something unbelievable, to me, those kind of moments, you know, were spectacular. And so when I saw that moment of him having those scuba gloves on and he was, you know, and 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 and, and my point about that is that um, sacrifice sacrifice is something that we never think about when we think about courage and we think about winning and that moment wearing those gloves and sacrificing and playing in, in that environment again you, you know we're playing in Cincinnati or you're playing in any of these elements where it's really you know tough to play and, you, and, and you're trying to you know find a way to win that's where, again, in life, you see people do extraordinary things. And you see people do things. And Dwight was one of those kind of guys that, again, when you're a free agent, you're trying every day. As he said, man, look, I thought I was going to get cut. So he already had the mentality of being able to think that I'm going to get cut. But he didn't. And I think one of the great things for all of us that I learned about him was that he always thought he was going to get cut. It's an element in life sometimes that um, that even right now, some days, man, some days, some days, I think I'm going to get cut. <laughs> even now, you know. And the reason why you some days you think that is that you know things that might didn't work out that 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 day and they didn't work out the way you wanted them to work out and so it's it, it, the emotion of being cut is a is a is a really interesting experience and 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 you know the at the end of my career I remember getting cut <laughs> and I remember what it felt like getting cut and, and I remember they said hey you can't play anymore and I was like oh wow I'm cut. And, and, and my point to you is that, um, you know, the finality of certain moments are, are interesting to deal with and interesting for all of us to understand. And, and uh, again, when you think about Dwight, that was the, that's a, one of the great things that I, I, I enjoyed was his passion about trying not to get cut. How would you define the legacy of Dwight Clark? Well, I would define it that I would hope that every Niner fan, even in this time, uh, and even at, in this situation, that we all find our uh, path of always trying of always trying to figure out um, how to do more, how to do more for others, and uh, how to do more to 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 uh, to survive. Because when you're a survivor and you're a free agent, you know that legacy to me is about surviving all the years that he survived also the survival of 
of, of just so many other things that you have to do in your life. So I think that the surviving aspect and his legacy of, of, of showing people that, you know, you can make it, you can make it. And to me, again, here we are in an, an incredible environment and challenging environment. And I've had a number of people that when they walk up and say, hey, man, don't worry, you got this. You start to realize that that survival mentality of you can, you can figure this out is something that, um, that permeated within our team. And it permeated to the point where in our team, that characteristic was something that, you know, we thrived on. That we're going to survive. We're going to. If you're going to beat us, you got to beat us. You got to. You better bring your 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 best stuff to beat us. And and I think that that survival of how he felt and how he thought about it is something that permeated with a lot of people because, um. Yeah, it's one thing to make the catch. It's one thing to also make the team. It's one thing to also survive into to to exist it's one thing to always try to you know find yourself doing as much as you can for others and and that's to me that's something that uh i think that he tried to do with his life i think he tried to give all of that now you know that obviously we all can't do that but the things that i do take away from him was that kind of essence and especially when he was dealing with ALS because that's when you really start to pick up on things that you know some people don't see people the certain way when they when they play with you but you you got to see certain things when people are not able to show you they can't show you certain things because I mean, a lot of guys that have played football and you, you, you don't see all of the, you don't get to see all of who they are. I mean, I, I love watching the Niners and I, I love watching the games. I, you know, I show up, but I also know that I don't know everybody and you don't know everything that everybody is going through on that team. And so what you do try to look for is the people that are learning how to survive and, and, and that's what I thought was special about that team last year, that they found ways to survive and find ways, they found ways to, to survive in very tough elements. And they did it in New Orleans and they survived in a tough element. And people were like, oh, they ain't gonna win this game. And they survived. And they, and they survived taking it to them at the end, which again, that's a great characteristic to have to survive and still taking it to him at the end. I know we were talking a little bit earlier, and Dwight wasn't the only person that was close to you that battled with ALS. Uh, can you speak to the importance of continuing to support organizations to help find a cure for ALS, like the Golden Heart Fund? Yeah, uh, the Golden Heart Fund um, is an incredible fund that is led by Ron Ferrari and, and Ron and Joanne Pasternak uh, are doing amazing things. But what's great about that is that 
like a lot of things in life, all you need is a hand up. <laughs> you just need somebody to, to pat you on your, on your rear end and help you understand that you just got to keep going. Um, um, so, yeah, that's a great organization for all the right reasons. Again, what's nice about that characteristic is that it embodies Mr. DeBartolo and it embodies the York family and, and, and embodies it because they don't have to do it. They don't have to do it, but they understand that it's essential to life that sometimes you got to give somebody a hand up. You got to give people an opportunity. And, 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 and so to me, you know, kudos to them for allowing it to exist because um, those kind of characteristics usually are not what people talk about. They talk about, you know, the things that they were able to accomplish, but they don't talk about the characteristics of you giving to others to sacrifice for others so somebody else can stand on their shoulders. And, and, and so the Golden Heart Fund is gonna be something that for the York family and for Mr. DeBarlow and his family, you know, people are still standing on their shoulders. And uh, a number of athletes are benefiting from it. And so I'm excited because every 49er fan that I've met so far that, that that's contribute to that, they've all said, hey, that is special. That is, I like what you're doing. I like how that's happening. I like what you guys stand for. I love being a part of that. And uh, again, it, it tells me that the 49er fan thrives understanding that there's a bigger purpose in life. We talked a lot about your experiences with Dwight on the field, going against Frisbees and him with the scuba gloves. But now, finally, as we wrap this up, if right now you could speak to Dwight, what would you like to say to him? Well, first of all, and I used to crack up because when he had that coyote, you know, coat on and, and uh, you know, and he, he would hang out with Huey Lewis and, and they were singing and, and uh, you know, they, they allowed a couple of us to be backup singers. <laughs> and, 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 and what was great about that moment is that, you know, it was talking about hip to be square and, and and you think about you think about those kind of moments in your life and you realize that you know you, we all want to sing we all want to dance we all want to have fun but what we all want to do is just 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 win and love <laughs> just win and love and, and 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 being around those guys when you were around them you know that uh that's what we were able to do is to just win and love. So yeah, that moment for me, looking back on it, something that was off the field, something that uh, something that clearly I was a pip because I couldn't sing. <laughs> so I knew 
I knew that I was, I knew the element of why I was there, but uh, it was great to be with Dwight and Huey and Joe and Ricky and, um, you know, guys who uh, just had a love for love. They had a love for love, man. And, and uh, that, that's what's so special about that group of guys, right? From Eric Wright to, you know, Kena to Lawrence Pillars to Ar Archie Reese to, you know, Dwayne Board to uh, Craig Pookie to, to Hacksaw Reynolds. Hacksaw Reynolds. And what I mean by that is that when you think of those names, uh, man, the music that they made and the way we brought it and the way that they played, uh, I'm forever indebted to all of those guys because, um, you know, life is around your relationships and, and, and they're around your coaches. And, 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 and so here I am, I'm gonna give a shout out to Ray Rhodes and I'm gonna give a shout out to Ray Rhodes and George Seifert because they were my first two coaches with the 49ers. And uh, so I wanna make sure that I acknowledge the guys who uh, got me to where I'm at. Manscaped is the official below the waist grooming partner of the 49ers. Try Manscaped and get 20% off and free shipping with code 49ers at manscaped.com. That's code 49ers for 20% off at manscaped.com. That was former 49ers All-Pro Safety Ronnie Lott going back in the archives to share some of his favorite memories and lessons from Dwight Clark. Well, next up, I learned how Dwight was truly a stand-up guy. I was joined by former 49ers defensive back and very good friend, John Faylor, who had a close relationship with Dwight from his playing days and beyond. And we also got a good glimpse into Dwight's lighthearted personality. Take a listen. I just want to know if you can recall your first time meeting Dwight and what were your initial impressions of him? Well, it was uh, my rookie season in 1986. Uh, uh, and I was a free agent. I didn't get drafted. And, and it was amazing in a short period of time. And we were on opposite sides of the ball. But, you know, Dwight was just, uh, he was a gentleman, you know, really from the get-go. And, and you know, I would say he kind of took me under his wing a little bit. But it was really more his personality um, as, you know, being somebody that was uh, uh, a real talent and, uh, you know, known in the league. Uh, to take a guy that was a free agent and, and just treat him with kindness. Uh, and in fact, what I do remember is the very first night that Bill Walsh gave us uh, a break from uh, training camp in Rockland, Dwight and Joe took me to, uh, uh, God, what was the Mexican restaurant there in, in Rockland? But I'll never forget that. Uh, and, you know, I was kind of a nobody. And so to be treated that way and I will say that has continued uh, within the players. And I only played a couple years, but uh, the guys have treated me uh, so well. And, and I always appreciate Dwight for doing that, uh, as well as the rest of the guys. How would you say that your, your personal relationship with Dwight grew over the years? 
Well, it's interesting. You know, our, our relationship was, um, it was, you know, I only played a couple seasons. So the relationship really grew kind of after I was done playing. Um, actually, Dwight and I finished the same year. Uh, his last year was the same as mine. And really what happened is I, uh, unfortunately, I, I went through a divorce uh, and I had four children um, and it was really difficult. And Dwight was one of those guys that was kind of there for me. And then later on, Dwight went through the same thing. And in return, I was there for him because it's very personal, very emotional, very complicated. And that's really kind of how it started. And, and I, I kind of helped him through his divorce because I had been through it. Um, and I know that's personal and it's kind of off football, but we really created a bond then. And then it continued, uh, it continued all the way till he passed away. Um, it was really uh, awesome. We both got remarried. We used to go Christmas shopping uh, for our wives. And I can only tell you, Dwight, he was, he was more like a woman in a, in a uh, shopping center. I mean, he would bargain and we would have to go look at five different uh, stores for the same item. But I always remember that. We had a lot of fun. He's a stylish guy. He, he was stylish. I, you know, I really didn't know that about him. But, you know, I have a son that reminds me of that. He wants to shop and look at everything and it has to be just perfect. But uh, anyway, it was, those were great times. I think we all remember that with that, that iconic coat. <laughs> yes, yes, for sure. Yeah, the, well, the, the fur coat will stand out. You know, the, the guy that had done that before, of course, was Joe Namath. Uh, when he won the Super Bowl way back in the beginning. Uh, so uh, there was nobody more perfect for that than Dwight. You know? <laughs> what kind of impact has Dwight had on you personally? Well, you know, the one thing I, I say, Dwight and I, I, I think one of the things that we shared in common, and I, I got to believe it was just the way that we were raised was to, you know, treat people treat people well, uh, treat people with kindness. And, and of course, you know, Dwight was a celebrity uh, and he was well known uh, across, you know, the world for what he accomplished. Uh, and he had, he was extremely handsome uh, for sure. And, and I think really um, Dwight, when I watched him, how he interacted with people, um, uh, as much of a celebrity and as much as these guys that are celebrities uh, as athletes get bombarded, the impact from him was just how he treated people. Um, and I'll never forget that. Uh, uh, and he was very, very competitive. Um, and uh, he lived life to the fullest uh, every day until he passed away and he kept a sense of humor. So, if I can do that same thing uh, in going through this with Dwight, uh, it's going to continue to impact me uh, until I die. So, Obviously, everybody remembers that signature football moment, the catch, but can you speak to any other moments that may have happened, whether it be on the football field, on the practice field, something that stands out that you remember? Yeah, you know, I would, I would say um, – I would say, you know, of course, the catch, I was, I remember where I was for the catch. I think most people remember where they were for the catch. Uh, 
Well, we, we were playing in Fulton County Stadium in Atlanta, which no longer exists. It was torn down. And I think they shared that with the Braves. Uh, and we were behind. We were behind. Uh, we were losing to Atlanta. And I, I'll never forget on the sidelines, uh, Dwight came over to Joe and said, you know, let, let's take this game over. And it was one of the most amazing things to watch. Uh, you know, I don't want to say single-handedly, but Joe and Dwight, they, they had, you know, nine or ten grabs uh, between the two of them. Uh, and we came back and beat Atlanta. And it was just really amazing and to watch him go over to Joe and say, hey, let's, let's do this. It was uh, – but I think that was normal for those guys, so – that's incredible. <laughs> so Dwight was known for his sense of humor and his lighthearted nature. Are there any memories that come to mind that might be off the football field that you might remember about his personality? Yeah, actually, um, it was uh, it was in it was on February tenth, and uh, and it was it was I was fifty, so it was it was seven years ago. Well, it was my birthday. It was my 50th birthday. And the AT&T was going on at Pebble Beach. And every year they had a 49ers versus the San Francisco Giants. It was four players of the 49ers and four players. I was not one of the players, but I caddied. But I caddied. Uh, I think I caddied for Brent Jones. But Dwight was in the group, so we're on the first tee box. We're ready to go, and there's, there's a good five, 6,000 people lined up on each side of the fairway. And I remember Brent was awesome. You know, Brent was extremely nervous. And I told Brent, I said, Brent, I go, you got three Super Bowl rings. I'm like, it's just a little white fog, you know, just relax. Well, everybody was on the tee box, all the cameras, but there was no Dwight. So everybody's like, well, where's Dwight? Where's Dwight? Well, pretty soon I could see kind of the crowd partying uh, over from the tap room. And here comes Dwight late to the tee box with a margarita in his hand. And he got up and everybody harassed him. They took a few pictures and then Dwight just striked it right down the middle. And, and of course, on that day, which was my birthday, which is, makes it uh, something I'll never forget, Dwight made a putt on hole 18 to beat the Giants for the 49ers to beat the Giants. And I have a picture somewhere in my office of uh, Dwight hugging his wife, Kelly, and, and you can see me holding uh, golf clubs. But uh, he, he always was just cool. He was always cool, uh, cool and funny. And, uh, you know, Dwight was one of the best. How would you define the legacy of Dwight Clark? Well, I would say, first of all, if, you know, and I think a lot of people know a story, some people don't know about uh, really how he came to the 49ers. Uh, Bill Walsh was looking at the quarterback from Clemson and uh, had called the apartment where the quarterback lived, Steve Fuller, and Dwight was his roommate. And so Dwight answered the phone because Steve was in the shower and they started chatting. He said, hi, this is Bill Walsh. That's how they used to do it. Uh, this is Bill Walsh from the 49ers. And we were going to come out and, and have Steve throw some balls so we could take a look at him. And he's like, you know, were you a teammate? He's like, yeah. And he's like, well, what position did you play? And Dwight said, I'm a receiver. 
And he said, well, would you mind coming out and catching balls so we could take a look at Steve? And Dwight had his golf bag. He was getting ready to, to go out and play golf. He thought his career was over at that point. He had only caught 11 passes his senior year. So Dwight said, sure, I'll do it. So they went down to the facility to have Bill Walsh look at this quarterback who ended up being a first-round pick. And when the whole session was over, Bill went over and said, hey, Dwight, he said, you got a few minutes to watch film? And he said, sure, coach, I'll look at film. So they went and looked at film, and he said, Dwight, he said, uh, do you have some highlights you can show me? And he said, well, coach, he's like, I only caught 11 passes. And he said, well, is there, is there a vi video clip in a game where you caught more than one pass? He said, yeah, I think there was one game I caught two passes uh, against Notre Dame. So they ended up watching that film together, and Bill Walsh kept rewinding the only two catches that he had made. He kept rewinding. In fact, they were, they were playing against Montana and Notre Dame. And he kept rewinding a catch that Dwight had made over the middle. Well, when it was all said and done, Bill had gone back to his staff and said, hey, we want to we wanna draft Dwight Clark. And he's like, we don't, they said, we don't need to draft Dwight Clark. We can pick him up as a free agent. But Bill was determined to have Dwight Clark on the team, and they ended up drafting him in the 10th round. So what, what I remember from that is you take a guy that really was not on anybody's radar, and you take a, a great coach like Bill Walsh that was able to find these kind of players. Uh, and that's how Dwight ended up uh, in the NFL and ended up with the San Francisco 49ers. And then the rest is uh, the rest speaks for itself. Uh, Dwight went on to be one of the great receivers in the NFL and made the catch and put the 49ers on the map. Uh, so his legacy is somebody that took what he had and fought for everything that he got. Um, and I think at the end of the day, the one thing Dwight said is when they asked him if he would trade everything that he did and everything, you know, he ended up with five Super Bowl rings, would he trade that for not having ALS? And his answer was, I may give up one or two of the rings, but probably no, I would, I would not trade what he did and what he accomplished. So his legacy was really um, how he fought to uh, get to where he was and how he fought through the ALS uh, with grace and class and humor, um, that's his legacy to me. And of course, how he treated people, really, that was, that was amazing. That's an absolute testament to the type of person and the type of player that Dwight is. And I'm so glad that you shared that story. But even in the midst of his own battle with ALS, Dwight was the ultimate teammate and he used his platform to help others fight their own battles. Can you speak a little bit to the importance of continuing the support of organizations that are working to find a cure for ALS? Yeah, well, of course, uh, the Golden Heart Fund uh, that was started by some of the players uh, has been really instrumental for uh, you know, the awareness of what athletes go through, you know, during the game, but more importantly, what they go through after the game. Uh, and it's been really amazing to watch uh, what that has done. Uh, the, the awareness is a, a real key. And then the second part uh, has been the funding that has been available for players in need. And we've unfortunately lost a lot of our alumni 
Um, you know, we've lost several guys over the past three or four years. Uh, uh, some of the guys that I played with, uh, Keith Barnhorst, uh, uh, and, and there were several others. So th that's, that, that's been amazing what they've done. The other thing that I've been a part of is um, the, the chapter of ALS uh, in California. And I have a dear friend, uh, Lucy Wiedemeyer, um, whose husband had ALS. And there's actually a movie that was made, um, a movie that was made about Charlie Wiedemeyer who had ALS. And he was a coach and he lived over 30 years with ALS. And he was an athlete. He was a, a, a top rated player at Michigan State. And then he was a coach over at Los Gatos High School and got ALS at a very young age, and he lived 30 years. So I was on a Zoom call last week, actually, with over 100 people, and they had asked Brent Jones and I to speak uh, and, and talk about Dwight and our relationship with Dwight and, and some of the same things that you're, that you're asking. Uh, so I have stayed involved in that. Um, every year there's the Charlie Wiedemeyer uh, local high school all-star uh, football game and it was really special I had played in that game when it had first started I don't know 40 years ago and then I have three sons that all played in the game uh, and so that was something that's important and I go back and Ronnie Lott and Brent Jones and I go back and we we pass out awards and they they always have a ALS um, person that's uh, there in a wheelchair and his whole family's out on the field and it's really special. I just donated a thousand dollars to the ALS chapter and I'm doing the, they're having a virtual walk uh, to raise money for ALS. So I will continue to be involved in that uh, in memory of Dwight and for all of those that uh, suffer uh, both the people that have ALS and their families alike. You told us the stories about Dwight in your years when you were playing for the 49ers and taking you under his wing and going to that Mexican restaurant. Just looking back at the time that you've known Dwight and even if it's golfing on your birthday against the Giants players, if you could speak to Dwight right now, what would you like to say to him personally? Well, I, what I would say is... Um... Number one, Dwight, I miss you a ton. Uh, you were one of the best friends that I could ever have wished for. Um, we never got a chance to watch Equalizer 2 with Denzel Washington, Dwight. Uh, you had passed away before it came out, and Dwight and I used to sit in his home in Capitola, and we would watch vigilante movies. Uh, and most of the players know that Dwight considered himself a vigilante, and, and, and that's because he did not like bad people. Um, he liked good people. He liked kind people. And so we didn't get a chance to uh, have a margarita and watch Equalizer 2. Uh, I hope he can watch it from heaven because it was another outstanding vigilante movie. But I I'll miss those moments that we had alone together, sitting on your couch, uh, and all the great uh, lunches that we had at the Paradise Grill in Capitola, the original Joe's Times. Um, I just miss your presence. Uh, I always love you, and you always have a huge place in my heart. And I'm always representing, of course, uh, D.C. Uh, was one of the greatest uh, ever. Now, I have to ask, was a margarita his drink of choice? 
the margarita was his drink of choice for sure. He loved the margarita and, and, and he could put them back. You know, I had to watch him a little bit, but uh, he loved his margaritas. Uh, he loved life. Uh, he loved his family. He loved his friends. He loved his kids. He loved his wife, loved his teammates. Uh, he was uh, one of the greatest uh, of all time. I think one thing that we appreciate is that everybody has their memories and their stories of Dwight and all of them have one center theme and, and that's just he was a great person to be around he was a caring person he was a light-hearted person and and everyone just everyone has these stories that just tell how great of a human being he was and this is football aside so your story is just added to that and, and thank you so much for even sharing those with us they were incredible yeah thank thank you for uh, uh having me on and, and being a part of this uh i love dwight uh i love all my teammates and uh i feel honored and blessed to be a part of this this podcast is sponsored by manscaped the official below the waist grooming partner of the 49ers Try Manscaped and get 20% off and free shipping with code 49ers at manscaped.com. That's code 49ers for 20% off at manscaped.com. Dwight and I have tons in common. Well, one, we're typically showing up late, but two, we always have a margarita in hand. <laughs> and finally, to get to know Dwight well before being drafted by Bill Walsh and becoming an iconic member of the San Francisco 49ers, we are joined by his younger brother, JD, to get some insight into how Dwight became the person that he was and who he truly was outside of the game of football. So... I'm sure, Jeff, you have different views than maybe some of Dwight's teammates or maybe some of the fans do. But from your perspective, tell us who is Dwight, the brother and the friend? <laughs> he is, uh, uh, at least in my life, he was the, uh, the protector and the, uh, the mentor, the coach, uh, the cheerleader. Um, I'm... Uh, I'm six grades younger than, than he. So as I'm coming along, I mean, I'm in sixth grade when he's a senior in high school. So uh, most of the sports that I played, he had a hand in, in, in coaching either on the court or field or, or certainly in the backyard, you know, working on fundamentals kind of thing. So, um, yeah, I guess I had a little bit of unique uh, view from the early days at least. So. You told us that, you know, your name is Jeff, but you got the nickname JD from Dwight. What's the story behind that? Uh, my initials, uh, Dwight. Dwight had nicknames for everybody. Uh, I, I can only assume that happened in the locker room because I know a lot of guys had nicknames. Uh, uh, and I understand uh, when I would go out there, I, I found it interesting that I would refer to uh, my brother is Dwight and, and people would have to, you know, think a second who I'm talking about because he was known as DC out there. Uh, so he even got initials himself, uh, to be named, but, uh, he, uh, he named everybody. My father, uh, my father was a big guy, um, six, four, three fifteen, And he was known as big gene. And, uh, my mother wanted a, a nickname. So, she uh she just her name was norma so that was shortened to norm 
So everybody had a nickname at the house. <laughs> what kind of impact do you think that Dwight had on you personally growing up and then into adulthood? Wow. Um, probably bigger than I understand. Um, and uh, to be honest with you, over these last uh, couple of years of reflection, I can really, um, I can really see that. I, uh, I, um, I, I never realized um, how much I relied on my, my brother and, and my father as well. Um, but later, my brother, um, just for general advice uh, of, of, of life in general. And um, uh, I, I didn't, and, and shame on me for not appreciating it when I had that opportunity, but um, I, um, I realize now how much um, my, my thought process, my work ethic, my desire to win, my hatred of losing um, has, was, built around the relationship with, with my brother. Um, I, I don't, he's the only person I know not that I personally know that hates to lose more than I do. I mean, he really hated to lose. <laughs> with that being said, was there a difference between Dwight, the NFL player, and then Dwight, the big brother? He was, uh, he was a lot more uh, supportive and nurturing than I think most people would think. He uh, he wanted he wanted at least my observation is he he wanted the best out of certainly me, um, but it seems he wanted the best out of everybody around him. Um, I think if you get the best out of everybody around you, you tend to win, and um, I think that was clear in his mind and. Like I say, he liked to win. <laughs> he was also known for his sense of humor and his lighthearted nature. Were there any memories that might come to mind to you from either childhood or growing into adulthood of his, his sense of humor and his personality really shining? Oh, <laughs> well, again, I was a little bit younger than him, so I probably was not in the younger days of, of really you know, I was the little brother. So, um, but I do know that he, um, uh, he had some really close friends that uh, each off season he would spend uh, uh, the summers in Myrtle Beach with. And it was well known that you never left your golf shoes around or somebody was gonna take them and go skiing with him. They'd get behind a golf cart and see if, how big a trail of uh, sparks they could get. And this was in metal spike days, but you just, you never let your shoes out of your sight. And um, I won't say Dwight started that, but he certainly uh, <laughs> made sure that that kept on, kept going on. So, so but little, I mean, it's, everything was like that. I mean, uh, everything was like that. Little knickknack, funny stuff that you just pay attention to what's going on and try not to get caught up in it. It's a lesson. Never leave your shoes behind. <laughs> Never know what could happen after that. That's right. That's right. <laughs> JD, how would you define Dwight's legacy? Um, I, I think it's uh, important to understand where he came from. 
in that he was uh, he was uh, not even scouted really. Uh, Bill Walsh had come to Clemson to see Steve Fuller and uh, asked Dwight to catch a catch passes for Fuller so he could watch him. And uh, I mean, he famously asked for some video on him and, and Dwight only caught, there was only one game where he caught two passes. Um, and Bill Walsh liked him and drafted him late. I mean, he was in the 10th round. They don't even have 10 rounds anymore. Uh, he was really not supposed to make it. His whole goal was to uh, go to California. Uh, before he left, he wanted to play Pebble Beach. And he could tell his kids that he had a tryout in the NFL, and that's what he wanted to do. And his head coach at the time in college, it was just one game that it was his head coach was Danny Ford. Danny Ford's first game was the uh, the uh, Gator Bowl when Clemson played Ohio State. And um, Danny Ford uh, told Dwight that he said, you're really fast. And if you go out there and outrun everybody to the – the water cooler to the locker room to the wherever you outrun everybody and you you're fast enough that somebody might keep you long enough for one year on the specialty teams and uh, you can say you played one year in the NFL so that was Dwight's kind of gig I mean he just wanted to hustle and he wanted to try to be as good as he can um, and and he did what he was good at he really he really played basketball on the football field, he would, which fit perfect into Bill Walsh's offense of being in certain spots. And he would go and, and literally box out someone and, and for a, for, so he would be open and he's big. I mean, he was like, he's six, five or six, five. So, um, he, uh, he just worked hard and, um, if, if nothing else in life, the story of, if you get one chance out of a million like he got, um, you sure really need to do everything you can to make sure you take every advantage of that uh, opportunity. And it, it worked out for him. I mean, he did, he did well. Did you ever get opportunities to travel to his games and watch him live on the field? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. We, uh, uh when, um, uh, when he was drafted, uh, the, his uh, division um, or his conference, excuse me, was uh, Atlanta was in the conference, which we lived in Charlotte when we were growing up. So that was right down I-85. So that was like a homecoming. And I, and I know he had to buy every person's ticket, every teammate's ticket that they got because we would have, I mean, quite literally, at, at least 30 people down there, you know. So it, every year it was, it was really pretty neat. So we were able to do that. So, so we went to a lot of those games. I got to go to three different Super Bowls, went to several games in uh, Candlestick, which was a, just a, an awesome experience, just awesome experience. That's so incredible. So even in the midst of his ALS, he was the ultimate teammate and was concerned with using his platform to help others fight their battles. Can you speak a little bit to the importance of continuing to support organizations to find a cure for ALS. Yeah, it's um, that is it's such a bizarre disease. I mean, there's not many 
illnesses in the world right now that we don't, I mean, we know nothing. We don't know what causes it. We don't know the cure. We don't, I mean, there's so many unknowns. Um, and it's, it's, uh, it's just imperative that we keep, we keep doing the research and keep asking the questions. Um, somebody's going to figure this out. Somebody will. And um, it's just, it's so important to keep the fight and, uh, and keep it in the front of your mind and, and uh, for all of us to be thinking of this, to, um, to continue the efforts and uh, until we do figure out what this is and, and knock it out. Because it's ugly. It's an ugly, ugly disease. And last thing, I don't want to keep you for too long, but I would love to ask you if right now you could speak to Dwight, what would you say to him? I would ask him if he would like a brisket cheeseburger. <laughs> when he would, uh, um, when, when our mother was alive, uh, she's uh, very close to me uh, geographically and, uh, and emotionally, uh, but when he would come visit, actually anytime he, uh, he would fly anywhere, he would go home via North Carolina. If he went to Chicago, he would come to North Carolina on the way home to California so he could see our mom. And uh, I'd always take him down to a place down in Wilmington, North Carolina, and we would have a brisket cheeseburger and just as bad for you as it could be, but man, it was good. It was so good and he loved it and it was just fun to do that. I've learned so many things about Dwight just today that I may not have known in the past. One, that he loves a good cheese brisket sandwich. <laughs> and two, he enjoys a good margarita. Yes, yes, he, he did like a margarita. Yes. <laughs> don't we all? I mean, and don't we all? <laughs> what time is it where you're at? I think it's past five. Oh, yeah, it's plenty of time now. Yeah. <laughs> The 49ers family continues to celebrate Clark's legacy and his actions both on and off the field. A very, very big thank you to Ronnie Lott, John Failer, and JD for their time and sharing these intimate stories to, of Dwight. Uh, to donate to Dwight's Clark's cause of choice and to help out in the fight against ALS, please visit goldenheartfund.org and click donate. I hope you guys enjoyed these stories as much as I did listening and hearing these. Uh, enjoy your day and I'll see you guys next time.